You're listening to Big Shot Business Podcast. The what, the why, and the how of building and running a successful business on the African continent. Here's your host, Linkford Biz. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Big Shot Business Podcast. Today I want to talk to you about something I believe is affecting Africa at a grand scale. It's affecting African producers, it's affecting every entrepreneur on the African continent. Today's episode is sponsored by Awesome Labs. For everything you need to build your own online store, do the smart thing. Visit beawesome.co.za. Awesome Labs, the web is chemistry. So welcome to episode number seven. We're on it. We're still moving on. This is the Big Shot Business Podcast, and I'm your host, Linkford Biz. And today, what I really want to talk about is something that is affecting entrepreneurship and affecting most business owners, most producers on the African continent without really showing the effects of how negative it is. What I'm talking about is actually the United States policy on Africa. If you have noticed, the American president has not visited the continent since he started office. He has sent liaisons, but he has not visited the continent himself, which has made so many people to start thinking, maybe Africa is no longer a priority to the United States. And for most people that know this podcast, I'm sure you've already guessed, my question would be, why should we care, right? And I'll tell you why we should care. Anyways, I'll be answering my own question this time around. I'll tell you why we should care. Because there are two sides to it. The United States policy on Africa has always, and I mean always, benefited the United States. Regardless the waves and waves of aid and investment that the the American government has allowed or facilitated on the continent, those policies and those investments have always benefited the United States. And that's my position based on my own calculations of conflict of interest, if I'm to put it that way. On the other side, because of that policy, the United States policy, not particularly the Trump administration, but I'm talking about generally the United States policy towards Africa. Based on that policy, we have also received numerous rounds of aid, investments, and it's been beneficial for the continent, no doubt about it. It's been beneficial for the continent, which for some you could say, oh yeah, so it's a win-win. What's the problem here, right? There's not really a problem because ultimately the problem is only as a result of the effects of it. Africa has become so dependent on US aid. Africa has become so dependent on um, intervention by the United States in so many ways. There are, there are hospitals that are based on aid from, from the United States. There are schools that are based on aid from the United States all across the continent. There are entrepreneurship programs that are facilitated by organizations that are funded by the U.S. government all over the continent. And these programs have been good. Yes, they've been good. It's been massive and good, right? Mutually beneficial indeed. Only, I think in my view, it's more beneficial for the United States. Nonetheless, not to sound like an ungrateful Ingrid, honestly, all of those benefits 
outweigh what I'm about to say. Because those are the visible effects of that policy. The invisible effects of that policy, if I'm really to put it out there, there are things that are so subtle, it would be next to impossible to, to even notice. Or if you do notice, it's almost a lost battle, right? It's, it's, a, it's a hopeless cause. Why am I saying this? So there's been growing concerns over the past few months of, on who's going to be the next U.S. president. And if um, it's Donald Trump who continues being the next U.S. president or if it's Joe Biden who wins the, the election and then becomes the U.S. president, what happens to the Africa Growth and Opportunity Act? Will it be renewed? Under Trump, it doesn't seem like it. But would Joe Biden then renew it? But it also doesn't seem like it because over the years, U.S. trade relations with Africa have been dwindling. Even though um, the U.S. has been bringing in quite a number of investments and quite a number of uh, projects like um, uh, President Trump's uh, Prosper Africa initiative, all those projects were there to benefit the continent, but mostly, mostly to benefit the United States because there has to be a return of that investment, right? So if President Trump... um, wins the re-election, will he continue with the Africa Growth Opportunity um, Act? Whilst those are very concerning questions, my pressure on it has been, let the United States be. Let it be. What the United States calls their foreign policy towards the continent is our greatest opportunity for freedom. And not just freedom for, 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 for liberty, for a continent that we create ourselves, not a curated continent. I remember um, some time last week, someone was telling me that I sound as if I'm against uh, foreign investment or foreign direct investment. I'm not against foreign direct investment. What I'm against is what we exchange for it. I give you a little bit of my land so that you can give me a little bit of the money that you're holding there, which would probably waste away if you were holding it there. But because we are in this economy that needs money, I need that money. So I'm going to give away something more valuable to me so that I can get something less valuable to you. It makes no sense, right? This is a curated economy that we're living in. And the African continent has been bombarded by it. We've been bombarded left, right, and center by it, right? Systems that we're now living in are not systems that we designed ourselves. So we're as much students in these systems as we are totally oblivious of how deep and how very corrupt they are, right? So anyways, what is it about the the African Growth and Opportunity Act that got me so riled up this week? The issue is that what this act actually does, it allows qualifying African producers to access the U.S. market without without any duty being laid on their on their products, almost two thousand products that can access the, that can get into the American market without any duty laid on. The conflict of interest I find in it is, who does the duty benefit? Doesn't it benefit the person that is actually charging it? So if the duty benefits the Americans, 
and they then come back and say, hey, look, we're removing this duty so that you can bring in your products. I don't think that benefits the producer. Whilst Idol, you could be shouting right now saying, can you just look at how much is being exported and how much it's benefiting the producers? Yes, I understand how much it's benefiting the producers. It's a very thin line we're working on. And I have to, I have to be really careful how I put this so that I don't convey the wrong point. What I'm really trying to say is that if Americans benefit by charging duty on goods that are coming in because that then promotes producers from within their own borders, when they reduce or remove duties totally, then that means they're getting the benefit they would have gotten from those duties, they're getting it somewhere else. Joining the points here is that they're, get, they're getting the, the, the benefits of the, of the duty that they've re reduced or removed they're getting it from the produce that is now coming in and accessing their market. How does that work? America gets their products and they don't have to bother about how they're produced and how and where and how they're transported. All they do is provide a lucrative market for a producer to sell those products to, right? Now, what is it that we export the most, right? If you listen to, 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 to my previous podcast or previous episode, you would have understood that what we export the most, it's agricultural produce, metals, all of those which are raw materials. We do not have that much of complexity when it comes to export, right? So how does a lucrative market become something of a disadvantage to an African producer? Yet when they started producing, the only thing that they were looking for, for that production to actually be lucrative was a lucrative market to sell it to, right? So you could be saying, but Linkford, what you're saying right now wouldn't make sense. The market is lucrative. So let the producer go sell at a market that is lucrative. My only fight with it is that we are selling products that are not complex. That's why we're paid very little for it. That's why the American government would afford to reduce or remove duty totally because we are selling uncomplicated products right? They can remove duty because they know very well once they've gotten the raw materials that we're sending to them, they can make complex products, complex materials, which they can sell back to us at a higher fee, regardless what duties we lay on those products, because we're not producing any complex items ourselves. So the African Growth Opportunity Act, in my opinion, if it doesn't renew it, I understand we stand to lose millions of jobs, but we stand to gain an entire market if only entrepreneurs can open their eyes and see it. It's a great sacrifice, but it's not a sacrifice that we can control. If the American government decides today they don't want to renew that act, then Africa is in deep trouble. Deep trouble. I'll give you an example of Lesotho. Lesotho has so many programs right, running right now that are based on U.S. funding that if this act were not renewed or anything of that sort, or if the U.S. continues on this trajectory that is, it's on and President Trump gets reelected and he continues on this sort of ignoring Africa that he is doing, if that continues, most of the programs that are running in Lesotho will go down. Most of them. If this act doesn't get renewed, 
all the parts of it that are actually needed to make Africa develop, if all of those get neglected, the textile industry is gone. And the textile industry alone employs 46,000 people. That's 46,000 people that might lose their jobs if the U.S. government decides, hey, you know what, to hell with Africa, if they decide that. My question still comes again. Why are we letting other countries so far away from home to be controlling how we develop the continent, to be controlling the type of programs we can have on the continent? Is it that we're dumb? Is it that we don't see? Is it that we don't think that... Um, Somebody else has to come from somewhere else and tell us, hey, you need an education system. Hey, you need water over there. Hey, you need... Is it that we don't see it? I don't think so. Because it's kind of the time where we should be doing our own things. I believe we have that. I believe we have that. I believe it's time that we started doing our own things. We don't particularly need an American market. I understand how many jobs... I'm even fighting with myself here just thinking of the amount of jobs that would be lost if we stopped exporting to the United States or if we stopped doing trade with the United States because it's been dwindling over the years anyways, right? One thing that hasn't changed much is how much aid the US has been sending to, to Africa, about $7.1 billion last year alone, right? With $7.1 billion coming into the continent, what exactly are we doing with it? Except running very small projects that actually have nothing to do with developing the continent, but just maintaining what it is, right? Which is what I think the, 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 the AGOA um, sort of does for Africa. It gives you a lucrative market so that you can continue producing, right? But by continuing to produce, you are not improving, the complexity of the type of products you're exporting has not improved because why change something that works, right? You you want the market to continue because it's working out. So you're thinking to yourself, why should I invent a new market? There's already a working market. Let me just continue with it. And that's the problem. That's the status quo that we, we need to challenge. That's the problem right there. The fact that we have a very nice lucrative market that is working. That right there is the carrot that is dangling in our faces saying, hey, if you keep moving forward, you will finally get a bite. But you never get a bite because you are not improving. Your complexity has not grown since, since you started. It has not grown at all, right? Of course, I know this is bad news or this is, this is an insult actually to, to most African producers, but it is what it is. You are being bribed to stay as such uncomplex producers. Think about it for a second. I'm no expert in the textile industry, but think about it. The textile industry in Lesotho alone employs 46,000 people thereabouts, right? That's what the statistic says. So if it employs 46,000 people, now take into context what Africa is. Africa is a place where a breadwinner could potentially be looking after an entire family, possibly up to 20 people, just one breadwinner. So if we have 46,000 people that are employed and that industry goes bust or drops by a half, or if it just drops by 10 or 3% for all I care, 
the amount of jobs that will be lost and the compounding effect of that loss, it'll be catastrophic. It's the stuff that sends people in the streets protesting, right? And that's the the delicate balance <laughs> this bribery, which is a lucrative market, actually does to African producers. You are kept producing textile. At the same time, the United States sends you back some of the profits they make from converting your textile into a bit more complex products and selling them back to you so that you can pay them money that they can send it back to you as aid so that you can put it into programs that benefit their interest and then give them profit to go back to the United States so that they can give you more aid. And you say it's a lucrative market. It makes no sense because... The profits are going out, the aid is coming in, but I'm sure the amount of aid coming in is never more than the amount of profits going out. If you can prove me wrong on that, I would love to see those figures. I would love to see any organization that has ever, at any given chance, at any given point in time, an organization that has ever sent out aid that is more than the profits they're getting from the place that they're sending aid to. I would love to see that, that organization. So this is, the, this is the dilemma that we're in. For the fact that the United States has been, actually the Trump administration to be more exact, has been sort of holding Africa with loose hands, right? For that fact, I think it's a wake-up call for, for Africans. It's a wake-up call for entrepreneurs on the continent that, hey, look, traditional means of getting funds to fuel the, the continent's growth, they're no longer working. And this is why I'm saying I'm not against uh, foreign direct investment. I am for it. I'm just against what we exchange for it. That's all. In those partnerships, in creating those partnerships, what is it that we're giving away, right? If we're giving away the opportunity for Africans to create, then to me, that's too much, too much to give. That exchange does not, does not benefit Africa at all. Because if we have to wait for other people to just come and do things so that we can benefit, I don't think we'll be benefiting much because I don't think there's anybody that would ever go to a continent, build a bridge, pay for it in full, and say, hey, hi, Africans, you can use the bridge for free. I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. What we exchange is also, it's, it's very important because it also tells you who we are at the table right if we are if we are exchanging friendship for a railway line from Beira all the way to Chirundi if I can put it that way right if we are looking for a railway line there and we exchange friendship and say hey look you've got a friend in southern africa you can build that railway line just for us to to be your friends so to say i wonder what that friendship would then create later on because friendships are never for now they're always for later right you don't say let's be friend because of now it's let's be friends because of what we could be later right if it's always about now i'm sure everybody you meet you don't like it's a possibility right so if those friendships that our governments are busy creating with other nations right and those nations are beginning to take those friendships loosely and some of the things that they promised to do they're no longer doing, like the United States cutting most of its funding 
I mean, big budget funding <laughs> to international organizations. When you start seeing those things happening, you understand who you are on the table. You were just a visitor there. You were actually, they never actually looked at you as an equal. They looked at you as an exploitable. And you are, you are, you are disposable. Trouble comes up. There's no value in keeping you. That's what, that's what the United States is saying about some of the interests it has, it has in, in Africa and why it's reducing the funding thereof. And to me, it's an opportunity. It's a great opportunity for every entrepreneur out there. It's a great opportunity because there are so many things that we couldn't do because one, America is already doing it here. So there's no need for me to do it. I'll, I'll keep using this, this, this example of, uh, um, uh, the textile industry in Lesotho. Could you imagine what it would mean if the textile industry in Lesotho started exporting maybe to Ghana, right? And Ghana creates lovely fashion and exports it back to, to, to Lesotho. Going back to comparative advantage, just looking at it and think, hey, who's best to be creating these type of things? Who's best to be to be giving us fabric on the continent. Okay, it's such and such. Every country then turns and says, okay, fine. If Lesotho is the country that is best at producing textile for us, let all our textile be produced in Lesotho. And who's best at making garments? Let all our garments be made in Ghana. For example, right? I'm just picking countries here as an example, but you get the idea because just because America is no longer that much interested not that they are i don't know what game they're playing but over the years they've really been paying less attention slowly they've reduced the 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 number of army personnel on the continent of course we understand in some places they're only there to protect american interests they're not really there to protect the african continent interests they're just there to protect their own interests and why they are in our backyard protecting their own interests i have no idea the type of relationships our leaderships have created some of them don't make sense but i do understand at times when you get to the table and you have nothing to offer which i always wonder how did you get to a point where you have nothing to offer but anyways it looked like oh, most of our leaders got to the table and they had nothing to offer and all they could do is hey look we want to develop I want to stay as, as, as the leader of my nation for the next five years. What can you give me and what do you want? You know, those type of dis uh, uh, negotiations where you are coming in underhanded, you know, and you have nothing much to offer because you don't know the value of what you have. And the person you're offering to, you're not asking them, what do you want, right? And of course, the Americans would tell you they, they want uh, some land where they can have their military presence, you know, Tiny bases where from from where they can respond to any emergencies on the continent. Of course, with threats of uh, terrorism, you know all those all those terrorist organizations that have been threatening America in almost everywhere in the world. America would need to have military presence in very strategic places in Africa, right? So when our leadership was giving away those places to to America, they were actually putting them in vantage points to actually act on the continent. And America had a good reason to be sending funding and, and, and aid to, to Africa. They've got personnel on the ground, right? And that would also help alleviate the threat 
right? Because the more people become rational, because the more people become enlightened, the lower the chances of them becoming violent. So you'd give them some aid, they smile, you sort out a couple of health challenges, sort out a couple of educational policy challenges, and you you help them fight the rebels that you trained. And you, you know, it's 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 all these tiny things that seem unconnected, but at the end, they're actually connected because at the end, the only thing that the American government would be interested in is American interests, right? That's the only thing that they would be interested in. So over the years, we've noticed that President Trump has been playing power cards with Russia and China. India is in the picture, but not that much, but it's mostly been Russia and China that he's been playing power cards with. And the more Russia and China focus their interests towards Africa, the more America will want to come back, which is why they still they still have uh, a little bit of influence here and there. Still got you know enduring existence on the continent, which is perhaps one of their superpowers. They they still have assets on the ground that can shift things in their direction. But for the fact that China has been pouring loads and loads of money, some even calling it the 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 the, the, coloni- the recolonization of the African continent by China, it becomes a very interesting thing in that it's as if everybody's playing ball with the continent and Africans aren't. We're just not even, we're just not part of the game. We are the game, but we're not part of it, right? Um, America is kicking the ball and Russia is kicking it too and China is kicking it too. And all of that keeps happening as if we don't exist, right? So it really doesn't matter um, how many how many dollars America can pour into Africa. At one point or another, we're going to have to grow up and do our own things, Right? We're gonna to have to grow up and do our own things. There's no, there's no other way. There's no, there's no need for them to continue marshalling us, right? We are way past that. We're way past that. We've got seventy-five percent of our continent being youth, so we're way past the 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 marshalling and the and the getting at the negotiation table with almost nothing to give. We understand what Africa is. Have you heard about Big Shot Business Network? It's the place to be for African entrepreneurs, business owners, and professionals just like you. Join millions of fellow entrepreneurs today by visiting likeabigshot.com. Big Shot Business Network. Connect. Share. Grow. There was a presentation by um, Dr. Howard Nicholas, I believe, um, at the International Institution of Social Studies. There's a video that has been making rounds that is making people um, very emotional and very angry. And to some extent, I feel like it's misguided. you know. But anyways, in that video, he talks about where the world wants Africa to be, right? They want Africa to stay poor. They want Africa to remain the world's raw materials hub, right? Because whilst Africa is in that position, they can continue growing and enjoying what they have become as civilizations. They can continue that way and continue enjoying the wealth that comes with it. And Africa cannot, and and Dr. Nicholas was saying that they will not allow Africa to get out of it. 
And they'll keep sending in education material that tells each African mind that it's your fault that you are poor. It's your fault that you are not um, the wealthiest continent, whilst you are, but you actually cash poor, <laughs> asset rich, cash poor, right? They'll keep sending educational materials that will keep telling Africans that they are poor and it's their fault. And whilst Africa is in that state, Africa will continue working with these markets that seem lucrative and continue producing raw materials for the entire world to enjoy its wealth. And for as long as Africa is doing that, Africa is not growing. Regardless how much you make a year, regardless what the uh, um, the GDI for, for, for the continent is, it doesn't matter. Africa will remain in the same position, according to them, if all this information is not brought to the surface. If Africa keeps believing that Africa is poor, if Africans keep believing that it's their fault that Africa is poor and they should do something about it. But whilst that happens, right, we are already having voices that are rising and saying, nope, enough is enough. This is the African continent and all of its resources must enrich Africa. Now, for most people, they'll be looking at it from a point where we live in an economy that was curated. We were taught this economy. We were brought into it without knowing who has the reins for the economy, who's controlling it, what are the rules in the game. All we were taught to do is be cogs in the machine. You were brought into this economy without being told how it runs, without knowing or understanding how it runs. So you are, we're pretty much prefects of an economy and somebody else is the principal and owns the profits, right? Which is why I'm fighting to, to, to get Africa to a point where we don't depend on external forces. We don't depend on external forces, right? Because I, I really can't argue with the benefits of external forces. They come up with a very, very compelling offer, right? They come with very, very compelling offers. Getting back to that example of Lesotho, there is a, 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 a a Taiwanese firm, I believe, that that employs about 1,600 people. If Africa doesn't do much trade with the United States, those 1,600 people are at the verge of losing their jobs because that firm only trades with the United States because that's where their market is. Okay, at least the, the most lucrative part of their market is in the U.S., if they lose half their income because the United States has slowed down the amount of trade or the amount of aid it's sending to the to, to the continent, 1,600 people are at the verge of losing their jobs. Oh, but we do hope for the best. We do hope that they do continue doing the trade. But then at the same time, for some reason, I actually don't want them to continue. I really feel sorry for the people that would lose their jobs. I really feel sorry. And it's a very scary scenario trying to to liberate ourselves at the risk of um, bringing such amounts of misery and poverty on our own people. It's a very scary thought, which is why I believe most of our leaders would try to avoid it by any means, right? Because it's, man, Imagine, imagine if a leader could come up and say, 
um, we have decided we're not going to be accepting any aid from the United States anymore. And most of the people that were uh, running organizations that are based on that aid, we have to find other things to do. I'm sure that guy will be out of office in in minutes, right? Because it wouldn't be a popular idea and it's a it's something that would make people panic. But our governments are not talking about it because they don't want those panics. Nobody wants chaos in the streets, right? You can have chaos about Black Lives Matter. You can have chaos about Zimbabwean Lives Matter, Nigerian Lives Matter. That we can fix. But telling you the truth about how much we are losing out as the United States withdraws a little bit from investments in Africa or doing trade with Africa generally and the looming uh, cloud of doom that says what will happen if America does not renew the, um, the African Growth Opportunity Act. All of those things, trying to put that on the people, no leader would want to do that. No leader would want to do that because it's a very gloom and scary scenario right yet it's one very beneficial to us because the micro and macro economies that are on the continent would then start growing right and the continent would actually start becoming the giant that it actually is visibly because right now it's like an invisible giant everybody's like Africa is rich and someone next door is like, where? <laughs> right? Because they can't see the world. Yet, the continent is rich. That's why everybody's fighting about it. That's why Europe wants to be here. China wants to be here. United States wants to be here. Everybody wants to be here because this continent is the richest continent in the world. And that's it. They know very well they can't make the amount of profits that they're making here in their backyards. They can't do that. Right, which is why they want Africa to remain, remain. I'll emphasize that they want Africa to remain as the raw material hub of the world's industry. Imagine that. Imagine that. And this is this is where my fight also is because this suppresses the level of complexity that Africa can be. Right. I mean, the the opportunities opening up everywhere. So I was listening to this interview where. Uh, Maya Hogan Fomodu, I believe, um, was talking and she was mentioning the opportunities that are there in agricultural drones. I believe it would be uh, agricultural mon monitoring using drones or, I don't know, spraying pesticides, I, I believe. I'm not that much into the industry, but it's an opportunity that is there. And it's something that, of course, my ears would prick up when I hear opportunity, right? It's something that I would, I, I would look into. But she was talking about how all these industries are growing on the continent. The continent still has some of the most arable lands, even though I'm adamant about us not being farmers. We still own the biggest part of arable land. You understand? So it becomes a matter of emergency, really, that Africa should, Africans, to be more exact, should start seeing the continent for exactly what it is. And our governments should also start preparing for the type of era that we are in, where the people we used to depend on are no longer dependable because they've got their own backyard issues to deal with. 
the American president, when he came into office, his thing was about making America great. It had nothing to do with the neighbors. It had nothing to do with feather neighbors like Africa. It had zero to do with it, which is why he went about cutting funding and, and reducing the amount of money that America was spending outside America with things that had nothing to do with America to his view. But at most, he neglected some of the policies. He just let them be. Whilst he, he, he pulled out of the Paris Climate Agreement and all of those things, right? All of the things that he did, there are some that he looked at and he said, ah, yeah, leave it in place. And one of those was the African Growth and Opportunity Act. But with slowing trade and most of it not being beneficial to the United States, one wonders... Could it be that the American president will finally cut this act off and not renew it? We don't know. If it does happen, it presents entrepreneurs on the continent with an opportunity to start building and scaling new industries, opening up new new markets. If it does continue with it still, it should be an eye-opener for our governments that we cannot depend on aid anymore. We cannot run as aided states right and most of america's policies towards africa are based on the idea that african countries are proper states with power at the top and the people supporting the power without realizing that no it's not like that we're not savages we're way past that right we we're an enlightened people now we're people that understand democracy, even though we didn't invent it and we probably don't even like it. We're people that understand that. And when you push for, 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 for better elections, you also need to push for rule of law. You also need to push for, for fairness and cutting down on corruption and, 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 and controlling or to some extent or eradicating totally, uh, the small cartels that then start to try and control the power that the people are supposed to have and gaining all the profits for themselves. So it's all those things that the American government would have to look at. But they've got too much problems in their own backyard, right? They can manage their own streets. They can manage their own people. It's becoming a problem to them, right? So it would be a very interesting thing to see how the next election is going to um to turn out and how that is going to affect the trade relations between the continent and the United States. I always find it funny though that the continent has to trade with one country. <laughs> I understand you can refer to them as a superpower, but I still believe that the continent is the superpower in this game. So whatever it is that the American government is going to do, we'll just have to see. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Remember to subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Be sure to join millions of fellow entrepreneurs at Big Shot Business Network. For this week's show notes, visit likeabigshot.com slash podcast. Until next week, this has been the Big Shot Business Podcast.